Welcome to season two of the Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. We hope you enjoy this panel discussion. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. Leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms to help us improve with each season. Enjoy the show. Good morning, happy Sagittarius season, and welcome to the 2021 Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. Before we go any further, please read our anti-harassment policy in the chat box, respect pronouns, and be kind. Thank you. My name is Johnny Garzavia. I am the author of contemporary young adult novels that reflect my own queer Mexican and Tejana identities and will always include at least one Selena reference. This includes my debut book, 1500 Miles from the Sun, about a Corpus Christi, Texas high school senior who accidentally comes out as gay on Twitter after having uh, too much fun at a party and the long distance Twitter crush who slides into his DMs the next morning, as well as my upcoming sophomore YA, Ander and Santi were here about a non-binary muralist taking a gap year from college who falls for the newest waiter at their family's Thacadilla. Today, I have both the greatest honor and privilege of being in conversation with the legend, icon, and star themselves, Ana Marie McLemore. Ana Marie grew up hearing La Llorona and the Santa Ana Winds and now writes books as queer, Latina, and non-binary as they are. They are the author of The Weight of Feathers, a 2016 William C. Morris YA debut award finalist, The Stonewall Honor Book, When the Moon Was Ours, which was long listed for the National Book Award, Wild Beauty, a Kirkus School Library Journal and Booklist Best Book of 2017, Blanca y Roja, one of Time Magazine's 100 Best Fantasy Novels of All Time, Dark and Deepest Red, a Winter 2020 Indie Next title list, The Mirror Season, which was also longlisted for the National Book Award, and the forthcoming Lake Lore and Self-Made Boys, a Great Gatsby remix. Good morning and thank you for hanging out with me this morning, Anna Marie. Hello, thank you so much for talking with me. I'm excited about this. Me too. Um, if y'all were here last year for uh, the first Latinx Book Festival, um, I actually had the privilege of being with Ana Marie at our Queer Latina Writer Roundtable with great authors like Marco Shiro and Aidan Thomas and Laura Paul and Taylor K. Mejia. Uh, but I'm really happy to be able to just do like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you today. And I think just to get us started, I'd love to hear like, the history of Anna Marie as a storyteller, like what your origin story is and when did you start writing and what kind of like brought you up to here? So I've always, I've always loved stories. Um, and I grew up around people who, who loved stories, but reading was a, was something that was a little bit like less of a linear path for me because like a lot of people with dyslexia, I loved reading and then I hit a wall with it. Um, right around right around third, fourth, fourth grade. That's actually pretty common with people with dyslexia. So I started thinking books kind of weren't for me, that I didn't have a place in books. And then if you put that alongside not seeing a lot of a lot of the identities I knew, a lot of my community in books, not seeing that representation that I needed, that together all kind of gave me the idea that like, okay, like books books aren't for me. The world of books that I love and that I've loved for so long, there's not really a place for me in it. So eventually I had um I had teachers who just like kind of worked on me and were like, I like I know you have stories in you and who kind of just like I like I swear they teamed up because it was like over a couple of years and it was like this it was this thing where they were just kind of like 
pulling it out of me and being like, okay, I know there's more. So I slowly started to write some of what, like some of what was in my heart and to try not to worry as much about like, not about wondering like, was I getting, was I getting the words right? Like the problems that I had with reading. Um, so I did a lot of that um, and right up to like drafting novels, I was kind of like doing it in secret. I not, I think I needed that to like not have the pressure of it, but it also mean that it meant that I didn't connect as with as many writers as I did later on. So that's something that I wish I would have done earlier because so many of us are working on things like whether, whether we're talking about them or whether it's in secret and that kind of like talking to each other and those kinds of conversations are so important and I'm so grateful that I that I have them now. So a lot of this started as like, what if I tried this? Like, what if I just, what if I just gave this a try? What if I just saw what happened? And a lot of that is still what I do today. Like when I have, when I have ideas about like, whether that's, whether that's like, okay, I want to write, I want to write about, about like the red shoes, but I want to write about like medieval queers while I do it. Or I want to try writing a character with alternating pronouns. Can I do that? So much of what I do is still like, what if I tried this? So what about you? Whatever you're willing to share about your origin yeah. story. I actually resonate with that so much about just like, what if I just tried it? Because I, I, I've only been doing this for like three years now. And it was after I read Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda and then saw Love, Simon and was like, there needs to be like brown representation like this. Like we don't get this sort of opportunity and someone needs to do it. And then I was like, well, then what if I just did it? Like I could totally do that. I can write a book. Um, did not know what I was doing. Just kind of like attempted it. And um, because like like you said too, I, I grew up with a lot of storytellers in my family. I think that's just kind of like a Latina sort of thing to just have like your like aunts and uncles and grandfathers who just like will keep you at the dining room table for like hours and hours after you've eaten dinner because they're just like telling you all of these great stories. And I was never one of those people. I am not one of those people who can just like talk and say like memories and keep it like really beautiful and stuff like that and so i was like no this isn't for me like for sure i'm not going to do that sort of career and even now i feel like lots of days i kind of just like sort of kool-aid personed my way into publishing and just like ran through a wall and like okay i'm here now and that was just now i'm here and they can't get rid of me um yeah so and then like as someone who like just so far writes purely contemporary stories. I'm like especially excited to talk to you about magical realism and get like some insight directly from the master of the genre and what it means to you as a queer writer. Like personally, my own knowledge of it in media consists of books like Bless Me Ultima and Benjamin O'Lear Science's adult novel, Carry Me Like Water and like the gnomes and Netflix is on my block. But I, I really couldn't give like a definition or describe it to someone if they asked what magical realism is. So I think before we get too into the conversation, um, could you define what magical realism is? So a way that I a way that I think of it is there are a couple of things that are essential to magical realism for for me. And I say for me, one, because like I'm not I'm not a magical realism like scholar who can give you like the give you like a whole paper on the definition of it. And also like it's it's personal. It's different between it's different between different hearts. It's different between different different communities. But for me, I think of 
one, you're finding you're finding the beautiful in the midst of the tragic, um, and it's a way of surviving. It's a way of surviving oppression. It's a way of surviving what breaks your heart. You are finding the unexpected. You are finding the unextraordinary. The things that hold you together, that hold you and the people that you love together. So that's the part that that the magic, in a way, is a kind of a kind of comfort and a kind of like in a way it's talking to your heart um the other the other side of it is that sometimes it's talking to you in ways that are frightening or getting you to look at things that you don't necessarily want to look at that you don't necessarily want to want to address or that you and your community need to look at together so that sort of goes along with the second thing that i often think of with ma with magical realism which is the the magic is unpredictable um it can't really be like possessed or owned or controlled by anyone in particular. And if and if anyone kind of like thinks that they can, often that often like unpredictable things happen anyway. Um, so magic is this undercurrent that it, you're never quite gonna know where it's where it's gonna show up next. It's like this this it's this spring that just comes up out of the ground um, in ways that you're not gonna be you're not gonna know what's gonna happen next it might take a little while before you know what it's trying to say. Um, and that can be something that can be very like unnerving to unnerving to characters in the same way that these realizations, these conversations that we need to have can be unsettling in like in real life, even if they are ultimately healing, it can be like, Oh, like I need to think about that. And I think that that to me resonates with both, conversations about like cultural identity racial identity and also like that oh moment of like being queer being trans like realizing something about yourself so that's a lot of what i that's a lot of what i think of with um with magical realism and what it what it means to me and how it sort of is this is this lens for stories i love that and like i think going off of just the the way that you said it's a very personal thing um, are there any aspects of it that you feel like kind of are reoccurring in your own writing? Um, I know that like you base a lot of books off of like fairy tales and stuff like that. I think um, I write a lot about names, which is probably not a big surprise. Like I'm like I'm a trans author. I'm a bi-gender author. Um, I'm still sort of looking for my own name. Like there I like I there's a lot that I like about I like about my name, but I'm still sort of thinking like, is this what I'm going to continue to call myself? Um, and whether you're talking about whether whether you're talking about um, gender identity or queerness or another aspect of identity, names are important in both magical realism in in fairy tales and you having ownership over what you call yourself and what other people call you. So I think that's something that um, comes up again and again in a lot of what I write. I can definitely see that for sure. What about um, you? Do you have like, um, do you have like things where you're like, oh, that that shows up in different ways in like my books? Um, I feel like maybe just like the cultural influences. I write like about Texas a lot, and so like you're gonna probably see things like Whataburger and things like Selena, and for some reason like an ocean always shows up. I I didn't like really mean for that to be a thing, but like that's just kind of happened too. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's like some sort of like really mental, emotional connection with like the ocean and the beach that like I'm going to one day figure out that I have and writing propelled me there. 
so we'll see. That'd be kind of cute. Um, and yeah, just so like it's just really a celebration of just Mexican identity and and stuff like that. Food really is a huge thing too. I love like the relationship between people and food and whether like you're making it or like you're eating it and like all that sort of stuff. So that's always been a, a huge thing too, especially because I think like as someone who had to sort of figure out my way into writing my culture and my books and like thinking I wasn't Mexican enough or Chicana enough to write like a really Mexican book, food was kind of the foundation of like, I'm familiar with this. And so let me start here and then build my way up to being comfortable writing about identity and characters who are super proudly Mexican and Chicana and, and all of that. Um, so I think food is probably like the biggest thing that's kind of resonating through all of my books so far. I love that. Yes, always like always the food. I'm always writing a lot about a, okay. a lot about food in my books. Actually, when I was working on Self Made Boys, my like um, Great Gatsby reimagining that's coming out next year, I realized how much I had to like think consciously about the food because I had this like this Latino trans boy who's like my Nick Carraway, who comes into this like environment that's mostly white people and i was realizing that when i wrote it it was like it, it was like the white people never ate ever and i was like okay i have to actually like because my reference points are so different food wise i need to actually think about that because food is yeah. important and like yeah in, in every setting um and also please like continue with the at least one setting the reference in every book i hope <laughs> oh yeah we are definitely keeping that um, what advice would you give to young people interested in writing magical realism? So I think one thing I'd say um, is that like there is a there is a place for like for where your heart is broken like in your work. So that's so that that's the first part of it. I'll say, but also the part that goes along with it is that you don't you don't owe anyone your pain and you don't owe anyone any part of your story that you don't want to tell. Like this is something where it's this it's this strange balance in making art where sometimes you have to go into places where you're a little bit uncomfortable because it's something that you're like you you want to do something that you you want to face a story you want to tell but there's another kind of uncomfortable where you're, where you can be like I'm not ready or I don't want to put this out there and that is that is valid too I don't think it's helpful to just like to just like across the board say like whatever you're afraid of doing doing just do it um, because you have to be in a place where you have some sense of safety in creating your art. So that sort of balance between like knowing, it, they're both kinds of knowing yourself, like knowing where your heart is broken so that you you can write from your heart and also write from the joy in your heart and also knowing what you're, what you're good with, like at a moment, what is going to, what is going to be good for you and good for your, your continued like making art. I could not agree more. I was like mentally just like this the entire time. Oh my gosh. I 100% agree across just like writing in general. I think that's super advice for anyone writing any kind of like emotional touch points in their stories and putting a piece of who they are in what they're writing. Just kind of check it on yourself and like what spoons you have and like don't push yourself. It's a process and always just think of yourself first. Um, one of the many things that I love about your writing is how sensory and colorful it is and how vivid the descriptions are of what the characters are seeing and hearing and feeling and doing. As a reader who like enjoys a lot of those kind of sensory experiences, are you also that kind of reader? I like, I like all kinds of 
all all kinds of description in books. Like mm -hmm. I like books where the description is more straightforward. I like when it's dreamy and like and like goes all over the place. I just like I think there's sort of there's sort of a texture about like about when you can tell that an author is writing like in their happy place. Like whatever their whatever way that they want to write that like feels right for them. There's the, there's like this texture about it that makes it very special to me as a reader. So whenever I'm reading that and it's like it's and you never you never know of course, but like as a reader my when my impression is like this what this is a this is something that's really coming from an author's heart, then that's that's one way in which is really special to me as a reader. Yeah, I I totally agree. I feel like even in like contemporary writing, getting to write like about places in Corpus Christi that like I knew growing up and was super familiar with and loved. Like I just, I loved getting to write that and like hopefully create an image in the reader's head of what's happening. And in reading your book in particular in your books, like the fact that they're so dreamy and so like this, there's like a basic description, but also it just kind of like takes it into a new place. It was just like, oh my gosh, like it's almost like, I don't even know, like a 4D kind of situation of just like a normal description, but then it's like kaleidoscopic almost, I feel. And so that was just a really enjoyable thing to be able to read. I, I really hadn't come across that before um, since I read like mainly contemporary books. And does like sensory writing come naturally to you or was it something that you like had to actively work on? It's something that comes pretty naturally to me, I think, because I've got a lot of wires crossed in my brain. Mm -hmm. It's partially like um, it might it might be partially ADHD brain. Like there's just a lot of like connections and a lot of like collisions in my brain. Um, and I think part of it is is synesthesia, um, which for anyone who, who doesn't know, like synesthesia is like um, sensory connections within with things that you might not necessarily like um, that you might not necessarily automatically think. Um, it's pretty heritable. Like my, my dad like associates, like he'll hear pieces of music and then he'll like, they'll, he'll smell things like certain, like certain scents will be connected with different pieces of music. For me, it's a lot related to like numbers and colors and letters. Um, and I, I wonder sometimes if the letters are like, if that was part of how I worked with the dyslexia, it's like, okay, this word is this color and thus that helps me like read it and identify it. Um, but I have these like, I have these weird connections in my, in my brain, especially related, related to colors, related to textures. Um, I was one of those, I was one of those kids that like, I couldn't, I had trouble with like the days of the week underwear packs. Cause like, I couldn't like the, the colors were not days colors were not right so i would have to like scramble them around um and i think we all have like i we all have different frames of reference for like okay this like particular days might feel like this and for me that's that's one thing that's one thing that i bring to how i see the world i guess and i wouldn't really know how to take it how to take it away. Um, it's just kind of, it's just kind of how my, how my brain's always worked. And I think that's one of the, one of the wonderful things about our brains is that, is that they are also different. Um, that makes, that makes it harder for us to understand them, but it's also something that's, that's beautiful about them. Yeah, for sure. And that's incredibly valid. I think, especially in like wardrobe stuff, sometimes the day is just on a blue day and like your underwear is trying to tell you it's a blue day and it's not a blue day. So you gotta mix it up a little bit, find the yellow um yeah and i think that's just really 
I can like I can totally see that when I think about your writing and just the way that you describe things and, and all of that. <clears throat> Um, in your two most recent works, The Mirror Season and in your upcoming novel, Lake Lore, art is tied to magic, whether through Enchanted Van Dulce or Alebrijes that come alive, and both are sort of impacted by emotion and the mental states of the characters creating these. What was the thought process behind like connecting emotion to art that's so specifically recognizable for Latinas and maybe especially Mexicans? So I think sometimes when I write characters who are like who are making who are making things who are making things in a way that is so tied to their to their identity to their community, um, often it's about like okay I have these I have these feelings inside me and I don't like I don't necessarily know how to name them I don't necessarily know know what to do with them so what do I do with them um, for for Ciela in Mirror Season, um, she's making she's making pan dulce as part of how she interacts with the people around her, part of how she shows them love, part of how she says, like, I like I see you. I may not know everything about you, but like I I see you in this moment. Um, and I want to help, I want to help care for you. Um, and it's also part of how she learns to like care for herself and process um and process trauma um these things that she does with her with her hands these things that connect her um to like to the traditions that she grew up with to this this family of of bakers that she's been around like learning like learning the recipes but also make like making some of them her own at the same time um in lake lore um bastian makes um makes alebrias as part of his um I, I I keep saying I keep saying his this um character initially started with he him pronouns um they have they have they them pronoun they use they them pronouns um both main characters in Lake Lore are non non-binary they both use they them pronouns um but also have pretty different conceptions of what their gender identity is which which happens like we're all we're all pretty different with our gender identities. So Bastian makes alebrijes as a way of um thinking thinking through their their ADHD and thinking like okay what do i what do i do with this what do i do with all of the things that my brain is doing at once and like kind of inherent to alebrijes is you're bringing together different elements you're bringing together different parts of of different animals so those kinds of collisions, and that's part of what I write about with Bastian's experience, those kinds of collisions like have a place in this kind of art, in their art. So being able to connect um, something like where they're thinking, what's going on in my brain? How does my brain work? Like, how do I work with the fact that my brain works the way it does? And having something that's so like culturally resonant um, be a way that they find how to do that. Um, that's part of how, like, like sort of coming, like coming home culturally is part of the comfort. And it's their older brother who introduces them to that and is like, hey, so this is what I do when sometimes there's too much in my brain, sometimes there's too much in my heart. This is how, this is how I process it. And um, their brother's sharing that with them is, it's, it's part of home for 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 Bastian for both of these characters um, 
and part of how part of how you like you say the you say the unsayable you say the things that you may not be able to say with words so you say the so you say them with paint you say them in ways that you can you can touch and and see and that's that's gorgeous oh my gosh um i i really loved it just i kind of saw it like as something even in my own writing process like my stories seem to touch on things that I think my brain needs to feel at the time, whether it's like my past and coming out and trauma and family or like grief and loss and living up to those who come before us or like just a reaction out of anger and pettiness and honestly the existence of American dirt. So like, I, I'm wondering if, does your emotional state ever impact the stories that you tell or the stories that your brain feels it needs to tell? I think it does. I think it's often hard like not to have that happen but I don't always know like where that's coming from until like revision um, and until further along in the process. And sometimes like I, like my readers, are, my readers are smarter than I am. Like they'll like ask questions and be like, did this mean this? And like, were you saying this with this? And sometimes I'm thinking like, you know, maybe I didn't like, I, I don't know that I would have, I don't know when I would have gotten there on like, like on my own, but I think it's it's very possible that 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 was there. And I think one of one of the examples of that is like writing as many like trans and non-binary characters as I wrote before like realizing what was going on with me gender identity wise. And I think that can like that can happen. Like sometimes we we know ourselves in stories, whether as readers or as writers, before we're really able to be like, oh okay it's whether before you can like meet yourself you can you you meet yourself on the page either in what you're writing or in books that others have written um before sometimes you're ready to meet yourself in your own life completely valid i like relatable too um so right now we're going to actually transition into some student questions And this one is from Olivia L um, in seventh grade from Massachusetts. Hi, my name is Olivia, and my question is: How did you know that you were LGBTQA? Do you want to take this one first, Anna Marie? Hi, Olivia. Uh, thank you for your question. So um, I realized I I realized that I was queer. Like I had some I had somebody like direct ask me when I was a teen. I don't know if that's always the best approach, but that certainly got me thinking. Um, so that was something that was a lot more sudden for me. I don't necessarily recommend asking like people in your life, like if they're, if they're queer, cause like they'll get there, like they'll get there. Um, for really, for realizing that I was like, I was trans and non-binary. Um, I had like, I had, presented in very different ways throughout my life in terms of gender identity. Um, but I hadn't really thought about what that meant. It's kind of amazing, like what we're able to do sometimes and just like not think about it because we're just not ready and that's okay. And anyone who's like been there and who's had a similar experience, like let me be one more voice saying like, you get there when you get there. And it doesn't say anything bad about you, but like if it takes you a while to get there, like our identities are works in progress. Um, so, when I started realizing um, a couple of years ago, like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm trans, maybe I'm, maybe I'm non-binary. Um, 
then that was that was when I like looked back and kept thinking like, oh yeah, like it was there, like it was here, it was here, it was here, and I'm, um, it was like it was in my books, it was in my life, it was what it was in like how I was presenting myself, um, uh, like what my gender presentation was at different at different times at different times in my life. It was with what I wanted but didn't know how to say. Um, it was like once I saw it, there was no way to unsee it. Like it was it was everywhere, um, and. When I started that, I felt like, okay, this is this is gonna this is gonna be a long game, and I knew it, and I knew it was gonna take me a while to figure it um, to figure it all out. Um, like our our very own like Alex Villasante took like my first pictures like kind of as a as like a guy um, when I was still like, oh, can I even say this? Like, can I even do this? Um, so yeah, I'm just. I'm still like, I'm still, like I said, I'm still figuring out what my, like, what my name is going to be. Like, I'm still figuring out some of that stuff. I know I'm pretty, I'm happy being by gender. I'm happy, like, living as, living as a girl about half the time, like, living as, living as a boy about half the time. So we figure it out as we go. And I hope, like, whether you're, like, whether you, you love, like, labels that you call yourself, whether you don't want to call yourself any particular labels, whether you're looking for labels that feel right for you, like who you are is valid and it's beautiful. So, so what about I, you? I feel, yeah, I feel pretty uh, similar. I, I think I was, I was gay, like in seventh grade, whenever I was like in like middle school football and there was this boy with like really nice hair. And I was like, I feel a type of way about this. Um, but like gender wise, it really wasn't until like, I was in my 20s and uh, I started doing drag pretty like regularly and just putting on a wig and a dress for the first time like this is definitely not going to awaken anything in me I'm sure uh, and then just kind of like propelled me forward into something that's like non-binary genderqueer and I mean even now like I've only been using they them pronouns specifically for like a year before then it was like kind of anything and so like I, I'm still too trying to just figure out who I am as like a non-binary person, as a queer person. And so it, there's there's no time frame. Like if you aren't, if you don't realize it, like the day that you're born, it's totally fine. If you, if it takes 20 something years, that's just as valid. Um, yeah. Our next question is from, uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced this name, uh, Maya W uh, in ninth grade from New York. How do you write a fantasy story that is meaningful to our everyday lives? I love that question. Anna Marie? So something I love about fantasy, about, about speculative fiction is that we can talk about, we can talk about things in our world and we can talk about our world like through, through magic. We can talk about our, um, our world, even if, even if I'm writing a world that's different from like, from the one that the one that we know, there are elements of it that that are familiar because um, because of the things that make us human, because of the things about ourselves that are wonderful that we need to celebrate, and the things about ourselves that are not so wonderful that we need to face as like as people. Um, so I love I love speculative fiction. I love fantasy as a way to like a way to to talk about like the things that the things that exist in um, in contemporary stories, and that's a way that I think like different genres talk to each other um, a lot more than 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 we might think. Like they're they're in continual conversation with each other. So I think that's also part of why I write um, 
I write fairy tale reimagining sometimes is like one like fairy tales fairy tales often have like analogs across different traditions that you will find you will find a similar fairy tale across so many different so many different cultural traditions because they speak to something within us they speak to human things within us um and fairy tales are also they're a way for me to sort of like draw people in and be like okay we're going to talk about fairy tales and magic and enchantments but we're also we're going to talk about racism colorism queerphobia transphobia uh, ableism like it's a way to like talk about talk about things that have always been there um but may not have necessarily like been talked about in the fairy tales that we know i think that's exponentially a better answer than anything i could ever give um we love it and so we're gonna go ahead and go to our third question from mina p in fourth grade from san diego california hi my name is mina and we are big kidlet fans my question is, how do you know if the story you were writing is understandable to kids? Oh. Do you want to take that one, Anna Marie? Hi, <laughs> Mina. Um, so I think, like, I, I think that, I think about if, like, stories are understandable to readers in general, like, if I'm giving readers enough to work with, because, like, kids are smart. Um, kids are a lot smarter than adults, than adults realize kids can, kids can like, kids can pick up on more, like, and often kids are picking up on more than adults are going to pick up on in, like in children's books. So I think about like, am I giving you enough to like put the story together in the way, in the way you're going to put it together? Am I giving you enough, giving you enough pieces to like, to be there with me and like be with these char characters because i think like i think readers are really smart so it's mostly for me it's it's mostly like am i putting enough of what's in my head on the page um because there's something wonderful also about that space mm -hmm. between like leaving leaving space for the reader because like whenever i read a book i'm going to experience it a little bit differently than everybody else every reader is going to experience a book a bit differently. So for me as a reader, um, I like that space. I like I like being able to be part of the process of creating a story. And I want to leave that I want to leave that space too. So what about you? I I think like I see it kind of like as a student of writing perspective. Like I love reading books in my genre that are really popular with teenagers. Like what are they reading? What does that voice look like? And what does it sound like? I also just like meeting them where they are. Like if that means going to TikTok or something and figuring out just what that what Gen Z looks like and things like that and how they speak and what their humor is like. But also realizing that me as an adult am never going to sound exactly like a young person. That's just not a thing that's ever gonna be achievable. So my one big role is just to be respectful about it and to respect that specific little pearl of wisdom that like as hard as we try you're never going to sound exactly like them so just let your shoulders loose take a breath and like do it for them okay we have one final student question uh this is from brenda p oh in austin texas hello texas um what books did you connect with as a kid and what books inspire you today Anna marie So I start, I talked about this a little bit about how like reading started to become a struggle to me. So a lot of the books that were special to me were books that like 
books that like people in my community read aloud to me, the family members read aloud to me. I'm thinking of like The Little Prince. That was a book that was really, that was read to me and that was really special to me. And that like, sort of what, what I was just talking about, like leaves a lot of space for you as, for you as the reader. So I think I, I loved that, the like space for imagination in that book. And I loved books that were like that. Um, something else that I like, I talk about a lot more and I didn't talk about for a long time is how like, how long I read picture books. And now as an adult, I'm like, I'm like, yay, like I love, like I love picture books. So many of us are reading picture books as um as adults, like both because we love the art form, because we're looking for like we're looking for books for the kids in our lives. Um, but I read them like way older than most of my classmates were reading picture books because I could I could read them without um without having the same kind of struggle I was having. With other books and i'm thinking specifically about this one book i think it's called rabbit's rabbit's color book that was like it it's this like it's this like a little picture book that was everything to me because it like says wonderful things about the color brown and like that just wasn't something that i like heard i heard, like so often we like brown is said to be is said to be an ugly color which is which is like it's devastating like being like like being a color, like being Latina and hearing that. So this book, like this this book that was saying like brown is warm, it's lovely. I was like, yes, I want to like be close to this story forever. So that was um, that was one of the picture books that I will never forget, just because of what that like those words being connected with the color brown, this color that my family was, this color that I was. It was just everything. Well, what that's, about you? That's gorgeous. Um, as a kid, I was obsessed with the Hank the Cowdog series. It just like reminded me of like being at my grandparents' home, like out in the Texas country. And so I was I was reading all of those. Um, but then as a teenager, I like got really into dystopian fiction. I was like I grew up during like Hunger Games and Divergent sort of era, and so like those I was really about. And even like in high school books, like when it came to like 1984 and all of those sort of dystopian books, the classical, I mean, classics that we read, like I was really into those too. Uh, but also like contemporary stuff. I remember The Outsiders being just a really pivotal book for me for just like, okay, like, wow, this is great stuff here. Like, where can I get more of that? Um, so just kind of like all over the place. Um, yeah. And um Oh, so right now we're going to move on to uh, some questions in the comments. And if there are any classroom classrooms watching, we'd love to get your questions. Uh, the first one is, what message do you have for adults who are trying to remove books that represent the people and stories of the LGBTQ plus community? Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're telling um, you're telling people particularly like you're telling you're telling kids and in, in in some cases you're probably telling some of your own kids that you don't you, you don't want them in the world that you live in um i like i don't really know what else to say than that because my initial my initial reaction was like i have nothing to say to you but i'm also trying to like come from a place of if there's any chance that if there's any chance that um that they're going to hear us like that's one of the things i hope they hear is that like these are like these are your children like these like, these are these are your kids 
So these are these are hearts that should have your heart. So please take care of them. Yeah, definitely. And I think like an even bigger scope needs to be looked at about just like it's not just LGBTQ plus books. It's specifically like so many BIPOC queer and trans books, so many BIPOC books about their lives and and being better people and letting them exist in a world. And I think that's the main thing is that these books let people like us know that we can exist in this world or in a historical world or in a fantasy world or in a futuristic world. And the people that get to just grow up being the center all of that all the time, never take into consideration what it might feel like to, to never be a part of that and never be able to feel that existence. And so I, I, I think I'm with you. I really have no idea what I would honestly say to someone who wants to do that sort of thing. My heart more is is with the people who are going to be affected by that, especially as a Texan writer, especially as someone whose books will probably not see a lot of classroom shelves living in Texas. Um, it's it's personally heartbreaking and kind of anger, not kind of, but very angering in, in a way that I know that is going to harm the kids that I wrote for specifically. Um, yeah, do we, if we have any other, um, I think we have time for one more question, if there's any in the comments. If not, I can move to like a little closing question. A few. How do you feel about non-BIPOC authors writing magical realism when it's so grounded in BIPOC traditions and histories of oppression? Anna Marie? I think this is whenever whenever there's a question about like should like should a writer be doing something it's it's complicated because so much of it so much of it is about how how do you approach like what you're doing how like do you approach it with openness do you approach it with um do you approach it with humility um and that's the same thing I think of whenever you're whenever you're writing something that's out like outside of your own experience outside of your own identity there's just there has to be a level of there has to be a level of openness a level a level of humility an awareness for everything that goes into this and an awareness of like why like what is what is your why why do you want to write this why are you like why are you the person to write this and i think that like like so often that comes into that comes into craft that comes into that comes into writing anyway um so it's part like it's part of the it's part of the process be like what what is your connection to what is your connection to the story and that doesn't like that doesn't just happen with magical realism like it should it should happen with any time that you're writing like that you're writing outside of your identity, outside of your experience, and it's something that like has a place in has a place in writing in general. Like, why? Why am I writing this story? Even if it like is your experience, it's like, is this what is this what I want to be writing right now? Is this what's good for me and my like my brain and my heart and my self care right now? So I think that why is always important in in making stories solid advice. Uh, we have one more student question in the comments um, from Joshua L. in Massachusetts. What inspired you to be an author? You want to take this one first? 
Um, sure. I, I just saw a lack of people who looked like me, who I was as a 17, 18 year old. And I thought someone needs to take care of that. And why, why can't it be me? Uh, that, that, that was really it. It was kind of a spur of the moment decision. Um, yeah. I think for me, like there was, yeah, there's some connection to what you, what you said. I don't know if I, I don't know if I thought of it. I didn't think of it as consciously as you did, but it was like, I have stories. I have stories I want to tell and I want to tell stories from my communities, like specifically, because these are the ones that are, these are the ones that are in my heart. And these are the ones that, that won't let me go. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, okay. So I have one last question for you. And that's just like, especially in regards to Lake Lore, there was this continual reminder of the fact that not only do Bastian and Laura exist in the world as brown people, but as queer people and as neurodivergent people and the implications of carrying all those with us and the beauty, but also the unique hardships they bring. And I, I don't want to make this a conversation about like, tell us why intersectionality is important and like defy the queer Latinx intersectional experience or anything like that, because it's, it's way too early to be giving people that sort of knowledge for free. Um, so like, maybe just what what does it mean to you to be able to share these characters with the world so one i'm just i'm really grateful to be able to like to write these characters because i think like i i think like when i first started writing i would never have imagined that like i would get to write a book about like the two trans characters two characters who use they them pronouns two letting the characters two like neurodivergent characters um, I, it just, it would have been, it, it, it wouldn't even have occurred to me for that to be a dream because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought it was possible. And like, they're on the cover, like two like brown trans characters are on the cover. And that's something that like, I still kind of, I'm still kind of like, wow, I can't believe that. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, I had to sort of like work up to getting here because when I first wrote, when I wrote my debut novel, like Weight of Feathers, like that was, um, these were, these were two brown characters. They were, an, they were an interracial couple. Um, but this is like, these are, these are two, like, these are two straight characters. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm writing about, like, I'm getting to write a, about like my, like my communities, but I'm doing it in a way that I think I can, like, I think I can get away with maybe. Um, I was still like, it wasn't until like, it wasn't until like we need diverse books started fostering the conversations that they that they that they were um, starting, which I was really grateful for. That I was like, okay, maybe it's okay that I did this. Um, so I'm really grateful that I got to like debut around those times that those conversations were were coming in more and more and more. Um, so when I was writing my second book, um, my second book, which, which which would eventually be When the Moon Was Ours, I was trying to write a book that was like okay, I have to be good now. Like, I'm going to try to write something like white and straight and cis, um, which for anyone who like knows when the moon was ours, it's about as not white and straight and cis as you can get. So eventually I got there, but I thought like, okay, I, I got away with writing like a, a Latina main character in Weight of Feathers. I have to be good now. Like I have to do something else. And nobody like, nobody told me that, like my, my editor didn't tell me that my publisher didn't tell me that my agent didn't tell me that, but I thought I had to do that. Um, just because of everything that I'd gotten in my head about like the media that the media that we, that we consume, like what we're exposed to. So, um, when, with when the moon was ours, when I, when I eventually was like, okay, I'm just, 
I'm just going to do it because this is what I want to do. Like, I want to write, um, I want to, I want to write like about, about like being brown and I want to write about being trans, like all at the same time. And because that felt like such a risk to me, but it was something that I, I felt good about and that readers responded to in a way that I could not have imagined. So like, I'll just say thank you for that because like, without that, I wouldn't have like kept going and kept writing, uh, like writing like queer characters, characters, characters of color and trans characters, like all in the same book. So Lake Lore is sort of also bringing in, like bringing in non-binary identity and, and like neurodivergence at the same time. Cause like, which is a lot of things at once, but like, we are a lot of things at once. Like so many of us have intersectional identity. Like these are these are our lives. Like this is this is who we are. These are our identities. So as I get like further into being like, okay, like these things can be together on the page because they are to they are together in us. Like these everything I write about in, in Lake Lore is what I am. So writing this like secret world under a lake and these like and these like alebrias that come to life and writing this sort of fantastical world, but that is a fantastical world that reflects real life and who we are in real life and intersectional identity is something that I'm just, um, I'm just still kind of pinching myself that I, that I get to do. No, yeah. I, I just remember first seeing that cover and just like, you know, I, as a, as a person, I just, as a practical matter, do not cry, but like, I definitely had an emotion to just seeing that cover and like seeing to just, trans non-binary brown people there and just like i i'm like wow I, I don't think i've ever seen this before like two brown trans characters on a book just like existing and as someone who was like also just all three of those things too it was just incredible to see that to see that existence and to see those similarities i have with bastion and lore as i got into the book and this sort of like resonating experience as someone who grew up seeing none of those experiences in the books I read. And so it was just a really beautiful thing. And, and I know that just the impact it's going to have is going to be beyond imaginable and so beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad that we get to, we get to be in a, an existence where Lake Lord is going to be part of that world too. And, and all your books, Mirror Season and When the Moon Was Ours and, and all of these works that we can go and find and read. Um, yeah, we, we are nearing the end of our time. So I definitely want to give you a moment to just like, where can the people find you? Where can the kids find you? Um, your books that you want to blurb real quick, um, any of that. Um, you can find me online at my website, which is author.annamariemacklemore.com. You can find me on Twitter at La Anna Marie. Um, so yeah, that's where, um, that's where I am online. And um, what was the, I think you asked another question. Oh yeah, if you want to like blurb any of your books real quick, give a quick shout out to any of them. Um, I don't. Are you talking about like books I'm reading as a reader lately? Oh, like you... like Mirror Season or like. Oh, uh, sorry, like... I guess like. No, you're good. I, like, you're I good. Took, like at this at this time, like I. No, yeah, no, you're you're totally. Like, all sorry. the way through that without being like with being like I don't understand the question. Um, okay, so I'll say real quick that like the um the Mirror Season, which just came out um this spring, I keep looking the wrong way because Streamyard hopefully like hopefully like reverses stuff um so the mirror season came out in in march um and it's like i'll just say like it's a book about like pansexuality and like how your um and how your community like helps you move forward and how you 
how you like move forward with the people with the people who love you. Um, yeah, Lake Lore, which which we've we've gotten to talk about, um, is like is like my book about like a secret world under a lake and non-binary identity and neurodivergence and being being Latin, Latine and just like a lot of things all together at once, which is very like very like fitting for a book that's about that's about ADHD. Um, and then I have my self-made boys, which is my um, my great Gatsby reimagining coming out um, next fall, which like I'm I'm writing transgender Gatsby. I'm writing like Gatsby and Nick as I like always thought they were like I always thought they were into each other when I read that book. So I'm I'm so excited. I equally excited. Um, and I am Johnny Garzavia. You can find me on Twitter at Johnny Escribe, on Instagram at Johnny Instas, and my website, johnnygarzavia.com. And you can purchase my debut book, 1500 Miles from the Sun, which is basically Selena's Dreaming of You, but if you make it gay. Um, and yeah, thank you so much uh, for joining me, Anna Marie, and for imparting your knowledge and wisdom to me and the children all gathered here, to everyone watching. It was such a fun hour to spend with you. Um, and thank all of y'all for attending the Magical Realism and the Latinx Queer Experience panel at the Latinx Kidlit Book Festival. I hope y'all will stick around for all the amazing panels happening today. And please stay tuned for a video from our sponsor, Penguin Random House. Hi, everyone. I'm Judith Huerta from Penguin Young Readers. And today I'm here with Danielle Presley. Hi, everyone. To share some of our favorite books by Latinx and Hispanic creators. We have lots of exciting titles to share with you, some that are available now and some that are publishing next spring. There's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Okay, and so first up, we have the duo behind Last Up on Market Street is back with another stunning and poignant picture book about the impact of incarceration on families with six-star reviews. There's been a lot of love for Milo, so I hope this isn't your first time hearing about this special book. So Milo is on a long subway ride with his older sister, and to pass time, he studies the faces around him and makes pictures of their lives. There's the boy in the suit with the bright white sneakers, and Milo imagines him arriving home to a castle with a drawbridge and a butler. But then the boy in the suit gets off on the same stop as Milo. He walks the same path and gets in the long line at the exact same place. And it turns out that both Milo and the boy in the suit are there to visit their incarcerated mothers. And Milo realizes maybe you can't really know anyone just by looking at their face. And so this is this book is a book, wow, this is a book that means a lot to both Matt and Christian and they both strive to tell stories about underrepresented children in a kid-friendly way. And so The Caught in the Living Room is a great picture book for teaching community and empathy. The story centers around a young Dominican-American girl in New York City whose parents babysit children of families who work overnight shifts. So night after night, she watches as her mom sets up a cot in the living room for guests, and she's jealous of all the things that she thinks they're going to do while she's stuck in her bedroom that she shares with her sister, who snores. This is until one night when there's no one to babysit, she finally gets a chance at sleeping on the cot and learns that the living room isn't all she thought it would be. This book is a celebration of the ways a Dominican-American community takes care of one another, um, while also showing 
young readers that sometimes the best way to be a better neighbor is by imagining how it feels to spend the night sleeping on someone else's pillow. For people who don't live near the border, we often only see pictures of heartbreak on the news. Only the worst is shown to us, but our author and illustrator have flipped that perception on its head in My Two Border Towns. Author David Bowles and illustrator Erika Mesa show us that the border isn't as gray and bleak as it seems. Rather, it's bristling with color. In My Two Border Towns, a boy and his father visit the town on the other side, El Otro Lado. It's close and it's a twin of where he lives. Abuela warms up tortillas on a comal, children play soccer in alleys, and Spanish is spoken ju everywhere just the same. On the other side lives a community that's full of life, a community that laughs and loves just like us on this side. But if we're so alike, why was, must we be separated by the people-made construct of a border? This book is also available in Spanish as Mis Dos Pueblos Fronterizos. Sing With Me is the story of Selena Quintanilla, the queen of all things Tejano music, as told by Diana Lopez and illustrated by Teresa Martinez. Throughout the story, these two creators share with young readers Selena's love of music, fashion, and her Mexican-American heritage in such a beautiful way. We start our, out our journey with Selena as a young girl. She's just begin, beginning her journey into music and learning Spanish. I was, as we follow along in her story, we see Selena rise to fame. There's a spread in this book where we see her performing at the Houston Astrodome to thousands of people, and it's absolutely breathtaking. This book is also available in Spanish as Canta Conmigo, and we have also and we also have an educator guide and downloadable activities on our website. So as 2021 is ending, we're coming to a close of year one of the She Persisted chapter book series, but fear not, we have more coming in 2022. And if you're not aware of what the She Persisted chapter book series is, we signed up 13 talented award-winning children's writers to expand and provide more information about the women included in, she, in the She Persisted picture book line. And each writer chose a woman to write about that she felt connected to for one reason or another, and we're publishing one book a month. And this past June, She Persisted, Sonia Sotomayor published, written by Meg Medina, the award-winning author of Mercy uh, Suarez Changes Gears and Mango Abuela and Me. Now, if you read and loved Elizabeth Acevedo's The Poet X, then you have to put Elizabeth Velasquez's When We Make It high on your TBR pile. This is a debut, y, de, debut YA novel in verse that changes the definition of making it. It's a love letter to girls who were taught that taught to believe that they wouldn't make it at all and who against all odds find a way to celebrate themselves in the ways in which they've been denied. This is a powerful and evocative coming of age story, and it touches on themes of mental illness, sexual assault, food insecurity, and gentrification. Living Beyond Borders is a breathtaking anthology of short stories, essays, poems, and more from 20 celebrated and award-winning authors. This collection was, was edited by Margarita Longoria, and you can see all the contributors' names around the border of the cover. The authors represented share about the borders they have crossed, the struggles they have pushed through, and the two cultures they continue to navigate as Mexican-Americans. Everything about this anthology is powerful, so be sure to check it out. 
And now moving on to a spring 2022 sneak peek. Um, we have lots of exciting books coming up in this next in this next season, um, starting off with uh, The Year We Learned to Fly. Um, Jacqueline Woodson and Rafael Lopez, highly anticipated companion to their number one New York Times bestseller, The Day You Begin, illuminates the power in each of us to face challenges with confidence. Just help is from the author of the New York Times bestseller, Just Ask. And in this one, it's um, it's about a fun and meaningful story about making the world and your community better one action at a time that asks the question, who will you help today? With Lots of Love is a beautiful lyrical story about a girl who moves from her home in Central America to the US and everything she leaves behind and longs for, especially her abuela, as she makes a new life. Moving on to older um, fiction and nonfiction, um, who was the voice of the people, discover the story behind Cesar Chavez and the Delano grape strike in Who Was the Voice of the People, um, written by award-winning author Terry Blass and illustrated by Ignaz-nominated cartoonist Mar Julia. Diamond Park is a fast-paced YA novel about four Mexican-American teenagers from Houston, a 59 Chevy Impala, and a murder that changes the live, their lives forever. And finally, we have Flirting with Fate. In this one, Jane the Virgin meets the sisterhood of the traveling pants in New York Times bestselling author J.C. Cervantes' charming romantic YA debut. And then quickly on this last side, we have a group of some of our backlist titles by Latinx and Hispanic creators spanning our different age groups, including Pearl Play honors and winners like Lucky Broken Girl, First Rule of Punk, My Poppy Has a Motorcycle, They Call Me Guero, and um, We Are Not From Here. So this is just a small sampling of what we have to offer. And that is it from us today. Here's some info on where you can find us and make sure to check out penguinclassroom.com. We're updating the site constantly with materials for you to use, sneak peeks, videos, and tons more content. Um, so that is all from us. Have a great day. Thanks everyone. Thank you.